You're listening to The Stall and Stable Show, ideas for happy horsekeeping. The way we keep horses is changing. As technology and research discover more things about horses that help us humans understand their needs better, our farms, barns, and methods need to shift a bit in order to leverage this new information so we keep our horses happy and sound far longer than at any other time in history. Positive reinforcement training is more than just shaping behaviors. It's rooted in the principle that our work with horses must center around what's best for the horse. Today's guest is Jesse Hillegas, warm blood breeder, R plus trainer, and owner of Edgewood Stable in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Jesse is also a driving force behind Shauna Karish Equine, the gold standard in positive reinforcement training for horses. Jesse and I talk today about how she keeps her high level horses safe and happy while ensuring that their innate needs as horses are still met. It's a great conversation. So listen in. This is episode 106 of the Stall and Stable Show, brought to you by American Stalls. Welcome back, listeners. Today's Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022. I am your host, Helena Harris. Did you know that this podcast is possible because of the support of our sponsors? It is. And if it were not for the enthusiasm and commitment from the folks at American Stalls and Tangent Materials, we'd have to charge you for the opportunity to listen to me blab about horsekeeping. So whether you're in the market for new stuff for your barn or not, but duh, we're horse people, we're always eyeballing upgrades for our barns, do us a solid and check out what our sponsors do for the horse community. I promise you that what they make adds great value to our lives and the lives of our horses. They wouldn't be a part of the stall and stable family otherwise. For anything remotely having to do with your barn, just go to AmericanStalls.com. They have it. And more importantly, they have the expertise to help you figure out what barn fittings will suit your needs best. Barn fittings, stall components, flooring, latches, doors, gates, they have it all. And when you're done chatting with their team, go to stallandstable.com forward slash fencing and download the fencing brochure from Tangent Materials. If you never had to worry about your fencing again, wouldn't you make the investment? Hint, the answer is yes. So today's discussion is with Jesse Hillegas, who, for all intents and purposes, drives the Shauna Karish Equine bus. Jesse is the driving force behind getting Shauna out to as many people in the world as possible. And I, for one, am grateful for her efforts there. Jesse has also had a very successful career in the show hunter world. She now breeds stunning warm bloods for upper level sport. So keeping her herd of horses safe, happy, and healthy is paramount to everything she does. So this conversation will center around how to balance what we use our horses for and how our methods for keeping them are shifting to incorporate more positive reinforcement and balanced strategies in the barn and out. So let's welcome Jesse to the show. Hi, Jesse, and welcome to Stall and Stable. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. And I have to confess right up front that this is the first podcast I've ever been invited to do. <laughs> so I think if I tell you that right now that I'm pretty nervous, I can get that off my chest from the start. <laughs> Everybody needs a disclaimer. You know? yeah, even even the most confident public speakers, teachers, educators, trainers, instructors, 
you tell them they're being recorded and suddenly everything just goes gaga. It even happens to me when I'm a guest on other podcasts. I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And I, I don't do well with like thinking on the fly. So good luck here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got your sense of humor and that will serve you well. But we're going to talk about something that you you know very well and something that you and I have discussed in passing here and there. It's the attention to detail in horsekeeping at home. You mm-hmm. are as anal retentive about your best <laughs> practices as I am. And I love that because it's not an over-the-top type of obsession with your horse care. Yeah. But the thing that we're going to talk about today is how you keep your horses at your farm in Pennsylvania and how you keep them safe without compromising their ability to just be horses and live as close to a natural life as possible. And mm-hmm. so that's that's what we're going to we're going to talk about. Let's start by telling our listeners about your farm. Where is it? How many acres do you have? Give us a sense of what your farm is like. Yeah, so we're located like slightly northeast of the center of Pennsylvania near the city of Williamsport and we just have like eight or nine acres, which is plenty since, for me at least, since the grass is pretty rich here. Um, but yeah, my barn is small, actually. I just have 10 stalls and I really like it that way because we can focus on each horse and make sure that they have what they need and that they're handled and ridden and groomed and make sure we have to, like that we're keeping up on all those things. Yeah. I'd rather get something of super high quality done in a day with a few horses then just a little bit with a lot of horses, just to say that it all got done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, because you breed horses, what's the combination of adults, mares, geldings, babies? Typically, what's the mix of your herd? Well, it it changes here and there. But right now, it happens to be that I have six mares and four geldings. Two of them are soon going to be going back to Florida for the winter. So then I'll just have the eight and Shauna and I probably are going to be taking some down to Florida also just for a little bit. That breaks up the winter, but I don't have an indoor and I don't really ever feel like I need, I mean, there are days, yes, I would rather have one because of weather and things, but I'm content for them to just take a break in the winter and let them have some time to just settle and be horses and not have necessarily a program that they need to be in. Let's talk about the program that they're in. You produce the babies, you raise them from obviously the minute they're born to a point where you're going to find them the right home. What does that involve? Well, I, I'm very hands-on with them from right away, like from birth. I'll be fussing with them all over them probably three or four times a day at least, especially in the first few weeks. And I try to just be as loose with them as I can. I don't have a lot of expectations of them, especially that young. I think that people can get in a little bit of trouble when they think that their full young full shouldn't, that they should behave super well. I, I don't, I'm more about letting them just explore things and figure out their environment and also build trust with them as they grow instead of feeling like I need to reprimand them all the time and make them do this or that. I just sort of focus on trying to 
let them be horses and like sometimes I'll let them come into the barn and explore the barn and they'll go in the tack room and the wash bay and they're tripping over the wheelbarrow handles and (laughs) putting their head in the washing machine and just whatever. (laughs) But they, they get to know that being out and exploring is safe and that people are safe. And by the time they're a couple weeks old, really, they're very, they're starting to really get the idea that humans and what we're doing here in the barn is all a good thing. Even if they throw a kick or something like that, they might have gotten startled. Those are their natural born reflexes. I don't really reprimand that stuff because they're just figuring it out. And if it we're, we're really trying to just develop trust with them at that point, if we tell them right up front that they can't trust us, I don't feel like that sets them up for very much success for their future. And that's worked really well for me because when I first started, I would be a little more you know, worried about them doing every little thing right. And they were more intense. Now they're just like laid back sort of surfer dudes here. (laughs) (laughs) And that doesn't mean that they're always perfect, but they're pretty safe. And they know that if I walk behind them or if I accidentally bump into their rear end when I'm walking by or whatever, they do not think that's scary or worrisome at all. So just the exposure to all of the little details of life in a human environment. They learn to figure that out early on and then it doesn't become scary to them. Yes. And I'm, I'm a little annoying, truth be told. (laughs) Like I'll walk, I'll walk by them and like grab their back leg and just like hold it for a minute or, and when I lift their legs too from young horses, I think this is kind of something that's worth mentioning. I'll pick their leg up, but I don't have this expectation of this perfect still baby. I'll move around with them as they move. I'll pick their leg up and even put it in, like, say I'm in front of them and I'll pick their leg up and put their leg in between my knees and just scratch the top of their leg. I'll do it with their back legs too. And just scratch the top of their leg. They love to be scratched so much that pretty soon they're like, picking up my legs is awesome. Mm. My favorite thing. So right away, they're like, all she ever does is scratches me or, you know, plays with me or whatever. So they they have a very optimistic viewpoint right from the start. So that is positive reinforcement at its yeah. best, baked into your everyday handling. And we're going to get to that yeah. a little bit later on in the conversation. So you're establishing this foundation of trust with them. And then you get to them, you get them to a certain point where they're ready to actually start being student athletes. You're getting their mental health set, their physical health set. They're in good hands. Mm-hmm. They're being well taken care of. Now it comes time where we're going to start teaching them how to be riding horses or whatever their job is going to be. Do you do that there at your farm? I do. I started, I, I've worked for a few different people. Um, one farm in particular was really big. I managed it. I taught lessons there and I started young horses pretty much most of the day. And then when kids got off school, I would teach into the evening. But that farm had about 80 horses. So it was a huge responsibility. And it, you know, it, it was a six day a week, like 10 to 12 hour a day job. And I, I, it was a lot, but I also would never trade it because I learned so much at that place. That in combination with the other places that I worked, I probably started somewhere in the vicinity of about 200 young horses. Wow. So you learn a lot and they had a huge turnover rate at that farm. Like, like they sold horses quite fast. 
So I got to start a lot or restart too a lot of ones that came off the track and things. So I rode all kinds of horses, some I that weren't, you know, my most favorite and then some were really wonderful. But it taught me a lot and I feel really blessed to have had that opportunity to do that because now when I'm at home, because I remember when I was younger, I would ride the horses at home and I'd be really frustrated that I could not, I couldn't get them to do what I wanted or, you know, they'd be too fast or too slow or whatever. And having those experiences of being able to start all those young horses while it was trying sometimes, I learned so much. And when I was then came back home and started doing the barn out of my home again, I was very prepared to pretty much tackle whatever they threw at me. What does the typical skill set look like of a horse that that you started at your farm at Edgewood and then have now turned over to their new owner? Well, it depends on when they got sold, but I kind of made the decision, I don't know, about 10 years ago or something, not to sell foals or yearlings. I, I had sold one that it didn't I sold a couple really, but one in particular that just didn't go very well. And um, I always felt a lot of remorse because they, they are like your children when you're raising them like that. And it is my full-time job. So it's not like I throw food to them before I leave for work and then come home and clean up after them at the end of the day. I'm with them all day long. So it really matters to me a whole lot where they go, that they're happy and that they're going to hopefully day in a home, like that I can make the owners happy with that horse so yeah. that they want to keep that horse. And that they'll treat it kindly. Um, you know, that's yes. that's the other thing. When you are so entrenched in the positive reinforcement training world, it's really difficult mm-hmm. to send your horse into the hands of someone who might be well-meaning, but yeah. um, is using some outdated training methods or unkind training methods. And that's that's the kind yeah. of thing that when you're so, like you said, you spend so much time with them, you're so invested in their future that to to send them someplace, especially when they're so young and impressionable. Um, I get that. So what kind of under saddle skills? What are you looking for at the minimum to achieve at your place? What happens to me a lot of times is I, I just do Facebook posts typically. I don't tend to list the horses for sale. Usually people say, hey, would you sell that one? And I'll look into their Facebook. I don't know if that's good or bad, but <laughs> I look in to see if I can figure out as much about that person as I possibly can. And you can kind of tell a lot from their social media. You can't tell everything, of course, but I get a good idea if I feel like this is someone who I think would be a fit for them. And if they are, I'll progress forward. But I don't typically have to go searching for people. They usually see them and ask. And then it's kind of where the horse is at that time. And I'm very, very honest with where the horse is at that time. And it always depends on what that person's looking for. Sometimes they want something that's really green and they usually don't though. So I would say for the most part, I would get them far enough that they're under saddle that they're through their little baby stuff. They know how to steer. They know how to move off your leg. They probably are jumping a pretty small course. They've probably been off the farm a handful of times. And Kindergarten training, I call it, (laughs) or first grade. Yeah, that's that's usually it. If I have one, like I have one right now that I feel is going to be quite valuable, 
And honestly, if I had a chance to go buy a horse, he would be the horse that I would go pick out from like the best place ever. So I'm holding on to him a little bit longer selfishly (laughs) just because I want to enjoy him. And I I do want to show him a little bit and have some fun with him in particular. So it just depends on also what my life is like at that point. You're kind of doing it backwards, which I love. Instead of you're you're (laughs) finding the match first and then rather than just creating a product in the horse and then finding a buyer for the horse, it's more like this organic match. I think where that comes from is when I first started breeding, I never set out to do it for other people. I'd never set out to do it as a business. I still always, and I've told my friends this a hundred times, I will always first and foremost, try to breed for myself. I'm not trying to breed the ultimate amateur owner horse or anything like that. I'm just trying to breed what I think will be what I would want in a horse. And that has served me pretty well. Okay. So let's go back to, gosh, and then, you know, the philosophies, and this is why I wanted to have you as a guest on this show, because the principles by which you operate your farm, you breed, you teach, you train the way you work with Shauna and presenting all that R Plus has to offer the horse community. The principles that you live by are really, I think mm-hmm. they do serve you well, and I think they can serve the horse world at large very well. Let's go back and talk about your farm again. I like mm-hmm. that you said 10 stalls is great because it allows you to provide a higher quality of care. Mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about the farm. What does a day in the life of one of your horses look like? Okay, so they get turned out at 7.30 every morning. Right now at this time of year, in the warm months, they're in during the day and out at night together in the group. So they're all 10 in one group, which I know a lot of people would think is a little bit crazy, but especially since I don't have massive sprawling pastures. The one that they're primarily in is about, I'd say, two acres. They spend the majority of their time. And then we have, I have a little gate that's attached to that that goes up a bit of an incline. And then up there, there's a pretty big pasture. I don't know what it is. It's probably five acres or something. But it's longer, so they, they can really run and play up there it's loaded with grass right now. So they don't get to go up there for long, long periods of time, but at certain times of the year they can. But yeah, so they they go out in the morning and they're out right now all day. And then they come in the evening, probably six or six 30. And they, I like them to have their downtime for a little bit. I like them to have the independence of being away, like not being kind of smushed up against their best friend for a period of time. And I think it's important for young horses to have a chance to really rest and to just feel like they can get settled away from whoever their dominant pasture mate is, whoever's over top of them, so they can really sleep and like get quality REM sleep. I bed the stalls pretty deeply so that they can do that. And it does make a difference. I've been in barns where horses hardly lay down yeah. because their stalls are shallow. And if you think about having to lay on that yourself, and then you also weigh 1,200 pounds on top of it, I'm just, I'm a stickler about that and having the stalls really clean. I'm kind of, like you said, I'm a little bit of a neat freak that way. They do wear blankets, you know, they're show horses or they're going to be show horses or they were show horses. And 
we groom them quite a lot and replace the blankets so that they're constantly clean. My blankets don't fall apart because horses rip them. They fall apart because I wash them too much. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering myself the other day, I'm like, how often do people wash their saddle pads? Because I cannot stand a soiled saddle pad. (laughs) We wash them every single ride. (laughs) Every single ride. This is why we get along. (laughs) Yeah. Unless they, for some reason, like they just had a bath and you put it on for 10 minutes and they didn't sweat, maybe. But yeah, I'm... I don't like that. Yeah. In fact, I've even started to think about putting just a light, light turnout sheet on Susie because she's getting ridden so Mm -hmm. much now. And she, of course, loves to roll in her nice sandy barnyard um, just to keep her coat clean and then also to cut down on the amount of washing I have to do for my saddle pads because I just can't, I can't tolerate any of the embedded dirt in there. Yeah. And I think it's unfair too, if we're going to make them wear blankets. It's nice to make sure that they're not itchy under there or dirty. Those those blanket liners can get pretty full of dirt pretty quickly. It's like gunky. <clears throat> it gets, you know, yeah. The, the, yeah. And the moisture gets trapped under there too. So their, their body heat, the moisture yep. or the humidity in the air, even the dew as it's yep. um, evaporating goes right up under their blankets and it makes yeah, this like, layer it, of gunk. Yeah. And then it, it, the coat or the blanket can't slide across the coat properly. And then you do have a lot of like, shoulder rubs and things like that, which that can happen anyway if the blanket doesn't fit them just so. But I try to also switch the blankets out frequently so that they're not wearing one exact blanket all the time. They kind of get a wear pattern there yeah. on their bodies about that. So so they do get I blankets. Kinda, so they, they you bed deeply, you make sure their stalls are super clean, they're comfortable. Mm. It gives them the chance to have some downtime, which I do think is important. Um, Because anytime you take a horse, any horse, and you put them into a human environment, there's a lot of stimulation that they have to manage. Even if it's the quietest barn, there's still a lot of stimulation that is not natural to a horse. So giving them the opportunity to reduce the stimulation, or even like you said, even if it's a rest from their own herd dynamics, it's beneficial to them. So you keep them in at night, especially this time of year when it's colder, and then you repeat the process. They get fed, and then they get turned out yep. for the day. Yeah, and then at about 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, I do a night check. And so I just check their water, top off their hay, make sure nobody got a little colicky or something like that between dinner and then. always seems to happen between dinner and night check if they're going to get that way. I don't know why that is. But um, I used to actually keep them all on cameras, and I it drew I couldn't sleep. Every little noise, I was like, oh no, someone's cast, someone's colicking. I finally, after like four years, I like pulled the cord on that (laughs) and decided if there's something significant going on there, I can hear them pretty well Mm. just without anything. So I had to do that for my sanity. (laughs) I would be the same way. So they go out then for the whole morning and then I have a wonderful person that rides with me and for me, and her name is Jackie. And she will start, usually come three or four days a week and starts at like 10 and she's there till like three or something. She rides a few of them and helps me out with them and, you know, sets jumps and different things like that. So um, 
I appreciate her. And also I just have to like shout out the other people that have been helping me take care of the barns. Deb and I used to do everything ourselves. And I've been traveling with Shauna so much this past year. I've had to bring in a few other people and they've just been amazing. They're both people that I've known for a while. So I had that advantage, Mm. but they're, they're just, it doesn't matter what I ask them to do. They always have a really great attitude. They're always like, yeah, sure. They're upbeat about it. They're not just like, okay. And they know the horses really well. And they actually care about each one of these horses. Like they really love them. That's the thing to be so grateful for. Like everyone's like, oh, gratitude. And you should be grateful for this and grateful for your horses. And yes, I am very grateful for my horses. But when I feel the most overwhelming gratitude is when someone who works for me, I have two amazing people, Joan and Rania. And just like you said, they are amazing. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. They're enthusiastic about what they do. They're thorough. And my horses like them because they bring that just beautiful, pure, enthusiastic energy with them. And that Mm -hmm. is the thing that I get the most overwhelmed with when it comes to gratitude, is that kind of support, especially when you have high standards. Yeah. Yeah. And and if I say hey, can you just rake this a little bit better? They don't look at me like, oh, come on. It's like three pieces of hay. (laughs) They're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed that or whatever. And I try not to get too crazy fussy. but So you've got support. You've got a, a manageable herd. How do you minimize the risk of injury or illness in your horses, especially when they're all going out together in a big group? Yeah, surprisingly, I have very few injuries out here. I think that it's because they are so settled. They're so happy being in a group like this. I mean, I think that is how they were designed to be in a group, of course, and to be able to explore their world. And if I feel like, okay, you guys are getting a little bit rammy, that's the time when I'm like, okay, you need to go have a run. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll open up a pasture and let them do that for a few hours and play and stuff. But I think it works well because we always have our eyes on them. We always know what they're doing. We know we have to be careful with Augie because that he's one of the yearlings because he's constantly pulling on the front of his blanket or just whatever it is. Then we're going to do something to try to redirect that behavior. Yeah, yeah. But because you have the oversight, because you, because you can see them. You know the nuances of their behavior and what things you might need to do management-wise to stop a problem before it it actually turns into a problem. Yes. And I've gotten pretty good, too, about knowing, okay, it's been this amount of time and I think it's time to put them over here, give them, let them explore this part. And Shauna's always doing things, too, like she'll randomly go get blow-up toys for the horses. (laughs) Put them in the pasture, and Shauna's pretty enriching for them. Not all on her own in many ways. They have some like crab apple trees that line the pasture, and some mulberry trees. So sometimes they're pulling at those things. They'll chew on some bark if a tree limb comes into the pasture because the pastures are mostly lined with trees. So kind of a headache in some ways, but it's also good in some ways. Do they move around a lot? Because I think one of the things that get us into trouble, and this is what happened with my horse, Clarabelle, that that got me into trouble, is my horses were 
they were in a so- somewhat confined area because we had really heavy rains. And while they yeah. could all move around, you know, they weren't in their stalls. It still wasn't the amount of space that they usually have. And of course, it was cold and, you know, they get the zoomies. And so mm-hmm. she got the zoomies and ended up crashing into a rock. Okay, lesson learned. Mm. But um, what I find then is that when horses are out in a group, they move more. They walk more. They move each other, especially the youngsters. So Susie and Brody, Brody's obviously a senior horse, they just kind of stand around. And every once in a while, Susie tries to get Brody to play, and he's like, yeah, no. <laughs> but when Clarabelle <laughs> is around, all three horses walk a lot more. They sort of self-exercise. Do you find that that happens in a bigger herd with 10 horses or so? Yes, definitely. There's a, so when they go out, they obviously get some hay for a little while and then they're kind of standing more still. If the ground is dry, I'll actually take each section and spread it all over the place. That way they kind of have to forage around for it and act more like a horse would rather than standing in one stationary spot and just gorging themselves. I used to just do that. I used to just put the hay in the feeder and they would just camp out there and they got along great because they, it's a big feeder so they can all come at it from different angles. They don't all 10 fit in there, but at least six or seven. And they did start getting fatter because they weren't, you wouldn't think that would have that much, that matter that much, but it really did. That uh, happened to Clarabelle this summer. She had individual turnout, which actually was pretty good for her. So she she didn't get into it with some other horses. But she ended up standing around a box. It was like a hay feeder. And mm-hmm. in this case, it was good for her because she was underweight. She was still coming back from her rescue days. But mm. it's true. Like the amount of weight that she gained, I had to cut back her feed way, way back. Yeah. Uh, just because standing around eating put on weight. Yeah. So spreading it around and, you know, we all hear about the track systems and how good they are for keeping horses enriched and moving Mm -hmm. and not everybody can put a track system on their farm or it's just not reasonable, but you can do things that sort of simulate or encourage them to move, like putting feed, spreading that around, um, only Mm -hmm. putting the water source in a particular spot so they do have to walk for it. Right, further away. Right. There are things that you can do. So it sounds like you're doing that already. Yeah, I do try to. I, 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 a few years ago, I had a little bit of a problem with them being too heavy. And my husband makes all my hay. So I have unlimited amounts of hay. I have different types of hay so I can be really choosy with what each one gets. And I just was, he was making such good quality hay, which is <laughs> awesome that he can do that. But I finally, we kind of decided, okay, we need to make, we need to keep a lot of first cutting lower quality hay Yeah, because we want them to be eating as much as possible. That's what they're designed to do, but not be filling them with the most rich hays because that isn't what they would be getting in the wild. They'd be getting more scrubby things and in the winter they wouldn't, you know, they'd be eating far less and lower quality and we need to give them time periods where they do do that. And that, that's hard to do especially when you're having show horses, you want to feed them and do the very best for them. But I had to really pull myself back by the collar and say, hey, you need to stop this because they were just getting too heavy. I think we've kind of got that sorted out now. And and it's difficult to do when you don't separate your horses. 
the different dietary yeah. needs. Some horses, those who are in work might need more food and more calories. And right, uh, those who are growing in your case might need more calories. And so that's, an, you know, I, I always talk about the more time horses can spend outside, the better. But I also do want to make a case for keeping them in for a couple of hours a day for specific reasons. And these are the reasons that we, we ha- sort of have to mitigate this human environment. Like, they're too heavy. Well, if we put them in stalls for a while to eat their hay, then I can give the fat horse the first cut. I can give the baby horse the higher calories. And so I do think that some people are like, oh, my horses are great. They're just out 24-7 and there's a round bale out there and there's a tree line or maybe there's a run and shed. Okay, great. But the downside to that is how are you managing their weight and, and managing their weight against the demands of their, their, the physical demands of their life. Are they athletes yet? Are they actually carrying mm-hmm. a rider? What does their work life mm-hmm. look like? So I think bringing them in for a couple of hours a day gives you the opportunity to run your hands over them, check their weight, make sure that they're eating the diet that's right for them, checking their blankets and looking for boo-boos and swellings and heat and stuff. Yeah. And when they're in, obviously you can give them the lower quality hay, if, if they're the ones that need it, or the younger horses will get a little higher quality hay. But when they're out, I, I try to give them as little hay as I, as I can possibly get away with. And that's, that's nothing to do at all with stinginess, but that just, that does create more movement. It, it forces them to go do something. I don't like it when they're standing around not doing, I mean, if they're resting, that's one thing, but right. sometimes they want to uh, they, most of my stalls come up to the barn, so they have they can stand there and just be very annoying. <laughs> they're always, <laughs> you know, because we do positive reinforcement. Reinforcement, they're like, "Come do something with me. We want to, <laughs> we want to work." And you go out there, and it's a mob of ten, and they're like, "Hi." <laughs> they're, they're super annoying, friendly. <laughs> they're they're just not like rude kids. or dangerous. They're just. Kind of. And we're actually running out of time, believe it or not, but I want to wrap it up with using positive reinforcement for handling your horses. For people in big boarding barns or commercial environments where horses' comings and goings are very structured, they're in a stall, they get a halter, they get a lead, they get walked out to their paddock, and then reverse that at night, they get brought in. For people who have their horses at home or interact with groups of horses, social behaviors are really important. Respecting your personal space is a big one. Standing quietly or waiting before they come to their feed bucket. How do you use positive reinforcement for general social behavior working with them in a group? Well, we will separate them. One thing Shauna will do is if there are a bunch of them that come up to us in the pasture, she'll feed the non-dominant one and then the dominant one will not get fed without letting the younger one eat first. So they learn that if they want to be able to interact with us, they're going to have to wait patiently and let that younger horse eat, which is not something that they really want or appreciate. So it takes a minute for them to understand that, but that's one way, like if you're going out there to get them in a big group like that. And then it's just as far as using it around the barn, like I said, we pull them in 
to do their sessions separately or like if we're if we're going to ride them we will use some positive reinforcement during their ride and obviously that's separately too so i'm not sure if i answered that you did actually so or here's how I interpreted the answer because it, it was a big question. You know, it was the kind of thing where we can have an entire discussion about it. Um, yeah. There's the sessions, right? There's the R plus sessions, mm-hmm. which are a couple minutes a day, you know, two or three times a day if you can. But instead of just doing things like, please lift your foot so I can pick it or please stand quietly on the cross ties, if I go out to hang hay nets, let's say, in the evening, I don't want mm-hmm. my horses mugging me when I come out of the hay shed or you know, I want them to step back and have space. But that requires a clicker training session separate from the activity of hanging their hay nets. I have to teach yeah. them space. So it's kind of like, again, like taking your kids to preschool and kindergarten where they learn more about how to be social. They learn good habits and manners. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um then they move up to elementary school and middle school and high school where they start to put those social skills to work as students. And then we go further into the student athlete where now we start mm-hmm. their athletic training. And since, again, going back to what you said earlier, you have 10 horses. That allows you to provide quality training. So the sessions that you spend with each horse are going to translate into you going out to the field. You need to bring one horse in and you've got mm-hmm. 10 who are interested in whatever you're going to do. It really depends all on the individual training that you do with those horses, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think too like having them having them have their own session allows them to feel like they're in a place too where they do get their chance. Like they they know that they're going to get their chance even if they're not the one that's selected right at that time. The other thing I try to do too is I try my best to set them up for success. So if I'm going to go out there with a bale of hay and they're hungry, there's 10 horses and they're going to come at me and they're going to try to take bites as I'm walking by and stuff. And that's not a problem. It's when they argue with each other that can get a little bit more unnerving. But there's ways that you maybe don't always include positive reinforcement that you can deal with that. Of course, I can take the time my problem is a lot of times I don't have time to separate, like to actually work on that as its own thing, but I'll set them up for success and just go along the fence line and throw a few sections out over there. So I've got six or eight of them out of my way from the start. So I really try to avoid things rather than deal with them later. I love that. I love that. So an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of yeah. cure. Rather than trying to deal with a really complex behavioral issue in a group of horses, just avoid mm-hmm. it by coming up with a plan. Shauna is really good at that too. Like just staying a step ahead of them can give you, it really goes a long way to making things settled. And when they know that they can rely on you to help them be settled, everything is just so much better. They trust you even in silly things like putting hay out they'll trust you that you're going to like take care of the situation because those those younger ones they're like lingering in the back and even if they're not necessarily walking up and trying to take hay from the other horses that are more dominant those dominant horses will be like don't even look in this direction yeah yeah they're going to preempt <laughs> anything that the babies might do yeah and i have to say too like those mares especially cuz let's face it they're just 
they're smarter, they're better <laughs> at raising <laughs> at raising young ones and things. They're very fair. Sean always says the herd this herd is very settled and balanced and relaxed basically because they know that we are going to we're going to meet their needs. Yeah. So they don't have to have that feeling of unsettledness and the foals grow up knowing that. So that helps a lot. In a previous episode I did with Bevan Dugan, who's an inventor and, and also runs a smaller, what she calls a boutique farm, we were talking about the value in a boarding facility. What creates value in a boarding facility and in a horse professional? And I think this type of your type of approach, Jesse, is one of those things. The professionals or the owners or the manager's dedication to understanding and observing the horses. What are they going to do? So that when you introduce a new one, you have enough experience and a keen enough eye where you can say, I'm pretty comfortable predicting this is how these two horses are going to get along, or these horses probably won't ever get along. That, to me, listeners, is one of the most valuable features of any facility, no matter what you're doing. If you're buying a new horse, if you're boarding, if you're taking instruction somewhere, but the professional's ability to to observe, to be open-minded, and to understand what they're looking at is the most valuable thing I think you can find in a horse professional. Yeah, I think so too. And also to that, I'll, I'll just add really caring about the horses and what they need. Because there's some people who are unfortunately more in it for what it can do for them. And I think if, if we just look at what, you know, like these broodmares here, I just have a few, maybe three, I think. We keep them ridden in their off years and try to keep them in shape and really respect the fact that they give us a lot and they take care of these foals and that's not any small job especially the boys. <laughs> the boys are just rowdy and, but yeah, just caring, like deeply caring about the horses, even if they're not their own, I think is such a really special thing. Honestly, it shouldn't be, but it's such a special thing in a facility. We have to make room for all horse people. This is something I struggle with is the folks who don't really care off the bat or they they're into horses for, you know, however it makes them feel, however it validates their existence. Um, yeah. You know what? I'm into horses because it validates my existence in some strange way. I always try to think the folks who don't really care or don't want to spend the time knowing what horses need, uh, how do I get in there? H how do I break in to that vault and just shine a little light and say, hey, here's something you might be interested in and and sort of kind of open the door to caring, you know? Yeah. And um, I had tried to do that through these podcasts and with guests like you who have this message and like to present the message in a non-judgmental way, in a caring way, so that we can get as many people to open their minds as yeah, possible. Yeah. And I think, I think that's amazing. And I love that you are willing to share with the horse world what is so like I think trying to help people to see the joy in horses um Shauna talks about people finding that joy that they had when they first started riding like we when we first started riding especially if we rode as kids you just had this intense joy like you came out to the barn you loved the smells like everything about it 
is what drew you there. And, and sometimes we get lost in the show world or whatever else world that we're in, or we're busy and to just try to see, find that joy again, that original joy. Yeah. And for me, like positive reinforcement has done that for me because I, I was a a pro and I was showing in the rated shows a lot and working for big barns and really got pretty lost and not wanting to show anymore. And I, I loved showing. So, and I still, I still really haven't returned back to it, but I'm, I really plan to here soon, but um, it's easy to lose your joy when things become stressful and all of a sudden it's about making money and it's not about the actual joy of it anymore. Yeah. And people start to take it so seriously. Um, and that's one of the things I love about Shauna. Like we, we don't take very much seriously. <laughs> um, we, yeah. we, we started to offer these like day long sessions where people can come and work with us one-on-one and just have the whole day to themselves. Cause you know, we're, we're traveling as you know, the country right now. Um, and we'll be going to Europe a little bit next summer, but teaching positive reinforcement and clinics to people and, we're so not serious, <laughs> but we get serious things done. As Shauna also says, it's, it's so fun. Well, I think that, like you said, the best way to prove our point is to live it, is to show it. So if I can take my sweet off track, there are bread mares into the show ring and have a good time, you know, to bring a couple of relaxed horses into that ring, somebody's going to notice, somebody's going to say, wow, well, that was great. I, I don't have to pin. I don't. I can come in dead last every single time. But if my horses are relaxed and I have a good time, I guarantee you people will ask me about it. So I am grateful to you and Shauna for bringing this to our world. Tell our listeners where they can find out more. They can book clinics. They can listen to podcasts. Give us the, the quick and dirty on where we can find out more about it. Yeah. So our website is just shaunacarish.com. Um, and we have a few things there. Like we have a membership site called Shauna Uncut, which is just a collection of videos that are just completely unedited, goofy, authentic at home and on the road, actually, that show what we do. And I'm a bit of a groupie. I've been to plenty of clinics. Not enough. I'd like <laughs> to go to more. Uh, in fact, I've gotten on a plane and flown to a clinic. That is how special the learning opportunities are with Shauna and Jesse. Thank and you for saying that. And Shauna, Shauna's so fun and she's such a good storyteller. She could tell a story about an old gray tire in the corner of a field and make it sound interesting. <laughs> so. She is one of my favorite people on the planet, period. I, I have never met anybody with so much love, warmth, determination, knowledge. She's so smart and is does such a good job at articulating a lifetime of experience and knowledge and making it palatable to horse owners of all kinds. And um, that's on the horse side, but just even on the regular person side, Shauna is somebody that everybody needs to meet at least once in their lives. Jesse Hillegas, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Selena, for having me on. I really enjoyed being here, and I hope you have a really great rest of your day. Pretty neat stuff, huh? 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jesse. And yes, it can go on for hours and hours and hours and hours. There are just so many different ways R plus can improve the way you keep your horses, the way I keep my horses. To find out more, just go to stallandstable.com, look up this episode's show notes. This is episode 106, and we'll link you over to all the important stuff. And if you need help running your barn, your business, or figuring out how to set up your stable or farm to bring your horses home, I am available for consultations. Go to stallandstable.com and click on services and book an appointment. I would love to help you. And that's going to be a wrap for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. <music>